Welcome, guys, to Ironman Connect. It's good to see you guys. Happy New Year. Appreciate you guys uh, having the social distance, maintain the mask on, and all of those types of things. That's helpful this morning. So some of the things that are different about 2021 for us before Rick comes up, if you guys have gotten one of these cards, if you have not, raise your hand real quick. Good, because we don't have any this morning. <laughs> no, we have some, but I'll bring them next week. Feel free to take a picture of this one. This gives you the entire outline for 2021. The book that we're covering the first half of this year is by Lee Strobel called A Case for Christ. You guys heard of that book before? All right, can you say it with me? What's the book that we're covering the first half of this year? A Case for Christ. And it's by... Lee Strobel. So I would encourage everybody to buy that book, either in audio or in physical form. What's the name of the book again? A Case for Christ, and it's by Lee Strobel. Right. So that's the book that we're covering the first half of this year, which our focus is on apologetics, sharing our faith with love and grace to others. And the first topic that we're going to be covering starting January 29th, Dr. Charles Cooper is kicking us off is does God exist, all right? And then after that, we're going to talk about a number of other topics, all covered in Lee's book called The Case for Christ, right? So don't come up to me later and go, what's the book that we're doing again this year? Because the book is called The Case for Christ, and it's by Lee Strobel. And I would encourage everybody to go online and purchase one of those books today. So with that, Rick Bonner, come on up, buddy. Come on up and introduce our speaker this morning. Okay, guys, I'm going to keep this real short just because uh, the, the important part of this morning is to hear what uh, Bob Troxell has to talk to us and then uh, get around our tables and do the accountability questions and uh, have great deep discussion on the topic of trust. We uh, did trust as the last uh, characteristic of uh, those you know character carved in stone. That was the book that we did last year, and we're closing out the whole concept of trust and how important trust is as far as our character is concerned. Trust really is the foundation foundation of any and every relationship that we have. So what Bob's going to do is he's going to start out by talking about uh, the trust that we have in God. So uh, without any further ado, uh, I will bring up uh, Bob to you at this point. Uh, I will have to say just because... Uh it's, it's Bob and me. I'm a Naval Academy guy. He's a West Point guy, so uh, I have to bash him a little bit, you know. I always tell people uh, he graduated from some junior college up in New York somewhere, and then he always has a great comeback on me, too. So, But anyway, Bob, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, just open with a word of prayer. God and our Father, we thank you that we can gather here and consider your word and uh, build each other up. We ask that you would uh, give me... Uh, wisdom to speak your words, uh, and we ask that you would uh, just bless us, bless our time together at the tables. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, as Rick said, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, God's trustworthiness as the foundation for our ability to be trustworthy, because uh, that is that that is the source. Um, Stephen Carnock was a Puritan theologian who wrote a massive tome called The Existence and Attributes of God. It comes in over a thousand pages, and he, wrote, he dedicated about 10% of that work to the immutability or the unchanging nature of God. And that is the source of God's trustworthiness. God told the Israelites through the prophet Malachi, he said, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Through Isaiah, he said, You have never heard and you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been open. 
for I knew that you would show for birth you were called a rebel. For my namesake I defer my anger, and for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So interestingly, God's faithfulness to the Israelites was because he felt his reputation was at stake. And he was determined to keep his promises. And what I'd like to do, I'm supposed to tell you a story, and what I would like to do is go back in time and tell the, the story of God's promise to Abraham. And it, it's just amazing. In Genesis 15, we tend to focus on verse 6. Um, God declared that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. But the rest of that chapter is an amazing, extraordinary scene. And I'm going to just read the, the second half of Genesis 15. So God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. So the animals are split in half, lined up in a row so that you can walk in between them. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring shall be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace, you will be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. The Hebrew is literally God cut a covenant. The, the ancient practice of covenant making included animal sacrifice, and it was a practice that the pagans did as well as the, the uh, Hebrews. And the idea was uh, when you cut the animals up, you were basically saying, this is what will happen to me if I break this covenant. So here we see God walking between the animals and making the promise. He binds himself to the promise unilaterally. Nothing is required of Abraham. And I have this interpretation on really good authority. The author of Hebrews says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, for which it is impossible for God to lie, so the two unchangeable things is that, first of all, God can't lie, so why should he make a promise or an oath? But nevertheless, he did make an oath. So we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
So this is what puts those statements I read at the beginning in context. Despite the unfaithfulness of Abraham's offspring, God is determined to keep his promise. In an amazing act of grace, God bound himself with an oath to bring us salvation. And he sent his son to finish that work so that we have, as the author of Hebrews said, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Our ability to trust is rooted in the character of an unchangeable God with an absolutely implacable unchangeable purpose and the work that he's promised to do in us. Um, It's it just incomprehensible that God would tie himself to us with an oath, but that's what he's done. It's this hope that makes us trustworthy because as we hope and trust in God, he changes us to become more like him. And our trustworthiness then really becomes more of a function of what we are rather than than what we do. What we do is important, but what we do reveals who we are. In the time of New Year's resolutions, we tend to want to do things to make ourselves better. That generally doesn't go well. If we want to do good things, we have to be good. And it's only in our identity in Christ and the character that that produces that we will then do those good things. It's only in the trustworthiness of God that we can be trustworthy. That's kind of what I would like to leave us with this week. Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. This is what drove Paul. He wanted to gain Christ and be found in him. And he said, the one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My prayer for myself and for all of us this year is that we would just lay hold of Christ and that we would know who we are in him because that will produce in us the character that we desire. So thank you.